Well, it's been a blessing to be with you, to worship together, to fellowship with you uh, this Lord's Day, and once again to gather to worship the Lord at the end of the day that He has set apart for worship and rest. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 2, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 10 in our study tonight as we focus on the theme, Living Stones. And as you're finding that place, let me just... uh, share a little bit about the context of this passage as we come to to verse 4 in the previous verses of chapter 2 and also in the latter part of chapter 1, Peter has been giving some practical exhortations to live holy lives in godly fear and also of the importance to show genuine love uh, among believers in the body of Christ. And that was following uh, a previous doctrinal section. So what we have now is a second doctrinal section. Chapter 1 begins with a doctrinal section focusing on our glorious salvation. And now we enter another second doctrinal section that highlights the glorious body of Christ. And that's what we'll be looking at in this passage this evening. So please give attention as I read from God's Word, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word and apply it in our lives for His glory. This evening, I want you to consider the question, what is the nature of the church? What is the nature of the church? We come together each week. We are members. We consider ourselves members of a church. But do you understand the character and the purpose of the spiritual building of which you are apart? Are you mindful of the awesome spiritual house that you are connected to 
as God's people. Peter is keeping to the basics as he is in his letter seeking to encourage suffering Christians. This is probably during the time of uh, Nero's persecution of Christians. And he's writing this letter to encourage suffering Christians. And what he says applies to all who are in Christ. As redeemed children of God, we are a special people. And we have a special calling. To understand the depth of God's love, we must understand then something about the nature of the church. And so we'll be looking at that here this evening. I want you to notice four things from our passage. And the first thing that we see is that the church's foundation is Jesus Christ. Its foundation is Jesus Christ. For the last year or so, construction workers have been busy on a site that is on a highway between Elkhart and Goshen. And we didn't really know what they were doing there for a long time, but finally a sign came up and it said that it's going to be the new Elkhart County Courthouse. But much time was taken to prepare the grounds for this construction. So the the brush was cleared, the soil was drained, um, drainage, it was graded and drainage was installed. There was a firm foundation that was prepared. And that is crucial for sound, for a sound and lasting building. Finally, we have seen construction taking place. But much work went into the foundation and the preparation for that. Well, the church has a firm foundation. It is Jesus who is the living stone, as Peter describes him. Jesus is the source of life, full and everlasting life. And Jesus is the bedrock truth upon which God's people rest. In verse 6, Peter quotes Isaiah 28, 16, which describes the work of God, who is the architect of the church. God is the one who laid this choice and precious stone. And how was that stone received? Well, we know the Jews rejected Jesus, and they sentenced their, their promised Messiah to death on the cross. But God exalted him as the capstone of the church. God raised him from the dead and seated him in heaven as king over all things and head of the church. And so Peter says two things. He is choice and precious. He's choice or chosen by God as the cornerstone of the church. And here we have a glimpse of the divine plan of God in salvation. That plan was laid by the council of the Trinity in, uh, before the world was formed in eternity past. The church has been called out and redeemed by God's sovereign grace and will. In other words, the church didn't just evolve by chance on the stage of human history. It isn't plan B after the first plan failed. 
It didn't develop from the ideas of men as they sat around and thought about what would be a good way to to promote this organization. No, it was God's predetermined plan from the beginning. And Jesus was selected, chosen, and he also willingly agreed within the council of the Trinity to purchase its redemption. We also see Jesus as uh, the living stone that is precious. He's highly valued by the Father. Remember how the Father addressed the Son at the transfiguration? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God, unblemished and without defect. His precious blood was shed on the cross, that cursed cross, to pay the penalty for the wretched sins of His people. Your sins, my sins. He's precious. He's precious in His perfection, in His submission to the the Father's will, in His sacrificial love. And this precious stone is for you who believe. For you who believe, Peter says. Peter says, the one who believes in Him shall not be disappointed. One summer I worked as a painter in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I became acquainted with a roofer. And he was uh, doing a job that was a little bit outside of his uh, expertise. He was uh, putting a pitched roof on a flat-roofed building. And uh, the walls of that flat roof building extended a little bit above the flat roof. They were brick or masonry walls. And so his plan was to put the pitch roof and to brace it against the, the, the walls that went above the flat roof. And as they were putting the plywood sheeting on and then the shingles were added, of course, the weight began to push out against those walls and they began to crack. Well, one very important element had been overlooked. The trusses had not been tied together at the base. And the whole structure was in danger of collapsing. Well, the foundation of our salvation is absolutely secure. It will not collapse. If Jesus is your foundation, you will not be put to shame. Every detail has been taken care of. Your sins have been wiped away. Your inheritance is secure. um, The Lord Jesus will help you in times of your greatest struggles in this life. If you believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are building on an immovable foundation. It will not collapse. But there's a stark contrast here in our passage as well. If you reject Him, this choice precious stone, you will be destroyed. In the sight of God, Jesus is choice and precious. And for believers, He is the source of this secure salvation. But for those who reject The living stone. He represents stumbling. He represents offense and destruction. In verse 
8, Peter describes this rejection as taking the form of disobedience to God's word. Disregard for the word of God. And he's not just talking about open immorality, but he's talking about a rejection of gospel truth. Today, there are a lot of, quote, good people around who work hard, who take care of their families to a a certain degree. But they have a serious problem. They have rejected the truth of God's Word. They've rejected the Gospel. They're unwilling to humble themselves and recognize their deep spiritual need as sinners against God. They think that they're fine. Peter uses another word here in our passage to describe Jesus as a rock of offense. It's the word in the Greek, Petra. And it refers to a large, rocky mass or cliff even. It's an object that cannot be moved by human opposition. And it's one that will crush those who rebel against God. I remember seeing not too long ago a news photo of a car that was totally crushed by a boulder Apparently, this rock had come loose from a a cliff along a roadway, fallen down to the road, and it landed on top of this car, and the car was completely destroyed. And that's what Peter is picturing here for us. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 21, 44, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. You see, it is a very serious matter to reject Jesus Christ. And those who do will be disappointed one day when they stand before Him as judge. And let me just say that if you are building on any other foundation, your life will end facing this judgment that Peter is describing here. But the beautiful message of the gospel is that today is the day of salvation. And so I urge you, if you haven't done so already, to take refuge in the Son. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So the church's foundation is Jesus Christ. But secondly... We see that its building materials are believers. Peter uses two metaphors to describe the place of believers in the church. First of all, we're a spiritual house. He says, you are living stones. Jesus, the living stone, gives life to each individual part of the building. And it is God who's doing the building. He's building each of us into this structure, which is the church. He chooses us. He calls us out of spiritual darkness through the Holy Spirit. He leads us to faith in Jesus Christ for our justification. And then that same Spirit who regenerates us, who indwells us, is active in shaping us in the process of sanctification with the hope of our final 
glorification when Jesus Christ returns. In Jesus, we are building blocks of a spiritual house. The church isn't just bricks and mortar like we came to to worship in tonight. The church is a people that has been called out of darkness into fellowship with the living God. We are the building blocks of a spiritual house. And as a result, we are closely connected to one another. And just as each block in a building gives strength and support to that structure, so each member of the church is critical for the proper function of the church. Now, Paul uses a a different metaphor in 1 Corinthians. He uses the image of a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Christ is the head, believers are the body parts, but it's communicating the same idea. Each part, whether obscure or prominent, contributes to the function of the whole body. Now today, many see the church just as an institution rather than a a living organism. And maybe you're tempted to think, oh, the church will go on fine without me. I don't really have that much to offer. But each of you is vitally important. And you have the responsibility to labor with the gifts that God has given to you to build up the whole body. Every brick, every stone contributes to the structure, the the function of the whole structure. And as we think about the body again, Ephesians 4.16 says, From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, we're connected to Christ. Christ is the head. He gives the life. And through Christ, we are used to build up the body in love to do the work that Christ has for His church to do. We are a spiritual house. Peter also describes believers as a holy priesthood. You probably are familiar with the phrase that came out of the Reformation period, the priesthood of all believers. Well, this refers to the new covenant blessing of free and direct access to God. We don't approach God through an earthly priest, as did the Old Testament people of God in the Levitical system. Now we come to God directly through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And we have the privilege of petitioning God for the needs of fellow believers. You'll be doing that here later in the service. And we also have the privilege of ministering to one another with the gifts that he has given us by his spirit. Peter says that we are a holy priesthood. As believers, we are set apart by God from the sinful world around us to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to Him. And these sacrifices include a sacrifice of praise, as Hebrews 13.15 tells us. Of obedience, as we found out earlier in chapter 1. Of thankful service, Romans 12 verse 1 tells us. And they are presented through our mediator, Jesus Christ, who makes them acceptable to God 
We offer them in, with imperfections, but Jesus makes them acceptable and God receives them uh, gladly. And so through our saving relationship with Jesus Christ, believers are the building materials of the church. Jesus, the foundation. Believers, the building materials. And then thirdly, as members of God's church, believers are greatly honored. Here Peter is once again encouraging suffering Christians. Remember who he's talking to? By reminding them of the immense privilege they have as redeemed children of God. And he gives four names to describe the church. Where did these names originate? Did they originate with Peter? No. We go back to the Old Testament. Peter's showing, as he uses names from the Old Testament for the people of God, he's showing the continuity between the Old and the New Covenant people of God. But especially he's showing the surpassing glory of the New Covenant church. These words are meant to encourage us in the midst of the battle in a hostile world. Our world is getting increasingly hostile, is it not? These are meant to encourage us. And they're expressed in the plural. These are corporate terms. We are not individuals, but we are fellow members of Christ's church. And so, brothers and sisters, be encouraged. You are a chosen race. The scattered and persecuted Christians of Peter's day probably felt like they were outcasts, like they were the scum of the earth in terms of how they were treated. And yet Peter is saying that God has chosen us. He has set His love upon us. He has adopted us into His family. We are His sons and daughters. We're not orphans in this world. We are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ of an eternal inheritance. And this is all because of God's grace. His unmerited favor. There is no room for boasting. Only thanksgiving and praise. You're a chosen race. And you are a royal priesthood. Peter's already mentioned the phrase, the priesthood of believers. But notice that he adds here the fact that we are kingly priests. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 10, we read these words. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus, the Anointed One, the King, the Messiah, He has set us free from sin's reign. In Him we have the power to obey and to triumph over present trials as we serve Him. And with Him, we will reign forever in His glorious heavenly kingdom. Furthermore, you are a holy nation. At times we feel like scattered refugees in our service of Jesus Christ. There's been such a controversy on the border over illegal aliens, but do we not sometimes feel like illegal aliens who aren't welcome anywhere in this world, in this uh, society? But we are part of a nation. We are part of a nation that is organized under the rule and authority of King Jesus. 
We have been set apart as holy to God. We are being purified by His Spirit. And as we use the means of grace that He has supplied, God's holiness should characterize our lives more and more. Even the trials and the afflictions that we face, they're not accidents. They're ordained by God for our sanctification. And Jesus Christ will one day present His bride to the Father, spotless and unblemished. That's our confident hope. We're a holy nation. And finally, you are a people for God's own possession. What a tremendous comfort it is to be God's prized possession. To belong to Him. To be loved and treasured by Him. And God takes care of His possessions. He guards and protects. He encourages. He upholds. And yes, He chastens. But we know from the Scriptures that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has given His people a position of great honor. We've been set free from the feudal darkness of a life in bondage to sin. We've been brought into the marvelous light of God's salvation. It is a life full of living hope, in a certain inheritance with the promise of victory over sin and death. And that is the honorable position that we have as members of Christ's church. But there's one other element that I want you to consider tonight. As members of God's church, we have a great calling. A great calling. Peter expresses our mission In the second part of verse 9, we are to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And I want you to, to note something here. Keep something in mind here. This is a corporate assignment. It's not just an individual assignment. The whole church is to be involved in declaring the wonders that God has done as Peter has just described them in the previous verses. We are to make widely known outside what God has done inside us, His church. Our proclamation then should should center on the virtues of the living God, on His power and His glory and His wisdom, on His justice and His holiness and His grace and His mercy and His love. And it should include our testimony of how He set us free from sin, how He's given us peace with Him and joy in His salvation through Jesus Christ. That's our mission. But Peter also emphasizes our motivation in verse 10. If you're wavering today with this commission, think about Peter's closing words here. They're words that 
are drawn from the names that God told the prophet Hosea to give two of his children. And these were children that were born from a wife that was formerly a harlot, which was symbolic of apostate Israel. One son was named Lo-Ami, not my people. And his daughter was to be called Lo-Ruhamah, one who has not obtained compassion or mercy. And so Peter is reflecting on the picture of God's wrath against rebellious Israel and really against all who reject Jesus Christ. And he's really talking about you and me as sinners apart from God's saving grace. Remember Paul's words in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were by nature children of wrath. That's a bleak and desperate picture, is it not? And then there's that amazing three-letter word, but. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, instead of being children of wrath, we are now sons of the living God. We're members of that vast community of the people of God that spans all of history. We have experienced the forgiving compassion of God. We've experienced His mercy. Is that not motivation for us to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His glorious light? Brothers and sisters, we have been given so much. Jesus Christ is the firm foundation of His church. Believers are the building blocks that He's shaping We are graciously honored by Him with the great calling of proclaiming the excellencies of our Heavenly Father. May we draw renewed strength from that spiritual union that we have with Jesus Christ so that we may faithfully carry out His high calling in our lives and glorify His name together as the church. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise Your name for this wonderful plan of redemption that you formed in the council of the Trinity in eternal eternity past. Lord, how you have had mercy upon us, how you have made us your people in Christ. Father, help us to highly value the church as we consider its glorious character. Lord, we recognize that it's still full of imperfections, and we struggle with that imperfection. But, Lord Jesus, we know that You're purifying it, and that You will one day present her to the Father spotless and unblemished. And so we pray that You'd grant us the grace to labor faithfully as Your people together with that glorious end in view. 
that we may be instruments in your hand for the advancement of your kingdom, for the building up of your church. We ask in Christ's name, amen.